Hansen, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode number 66, a conversation with Robert J. Sawyer about Flash Forward. Well, Rob was last on Light On, Light Through back in June 2007 in episode 37, and a lot has happened with Rob since then. And as I'm sure anyone who knows anything about television Anyone who's been awake lately, anytime in the last few months, must know. This coming Thursday, September 24th, at 8 p.m., ABC will be debuting its new series, Flash Forward, based on Robert J. Sawyer's novel. And I was thrilled to be able to catch Rob up in Toronto just a few days ago to get his thoughts on what it feels like to be the author of a novel which is being made into a television series, a series that ABC is pulling out all the stops in promoting. I read the novel. It's a great read. There'll be reviews from me on LevinsonNewsClips.com. But here now is my conversation with Rob Sawyer about Flash Forward. It's about 36 minutes long. And I haven't put a single commercial in that conversation. I will have some important messages for you after the conversation. Enjoy. Well, I'm very happy to be here with my good and longstanding friend, Robert J. Sawyer. And I have to say, the first time I met Rob was back maybe like 1991 at a Nebula Awards conference in New York City. Golden Fleece had just been published, or maybe it had been published a year earlier, and I saw Rob, like, walking up into a room, and I knew right then that something great was going to happen with this guy someday. So I'm really delighted to have this opportunity to interview you, Rob, on the eve of what I think is going to be a great triumph. Well, thank you, Paul. I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to, to you as well. And uh, certainly a lot of good things have happened to both of us in those, uh, what is it, uh, 17 years now, 18 years now since we first met. That's right. And uh, it just goes to show you, I mean, in your case, that if uh, you have the talent to begin with and you work at something uh, long enough and hard enough, that uh, enormous success can happen. People who are just starting out in the field, sometimes get discouraged when they don't become successful a couple of weeks after their first novel is published. What uh, novel, in order of all the novels that you've published, is Flash Forward, by the way? I think Flash Forward was my 11th, and I'm writing my 20th now. So it was in the middle of the bunch. And at the time that I wrote it, there was no particular reason to think that that was going to be the one that would break out from the pack and become, you know, ultimately the one that's going to be in the first line of my obituary when I pass away. Robert J. Sawyer, author of Flash Forward, basis for the ABC TV series, is doubtless how I'm going to be remembered when I'm gone. Um and yet you're right, exactly. You know, there's that old joke about it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. And it really does for the, the new writers out there. Perseverance is the key. And also, you know, you just do have to have some luck come your way. And I've been uh, very lucky, as they say. you got to be prepared for when luck uh, does come your way to seize the moment. And I think I was. But uh, uh, there's an element of luck. But the biggest thing at all is perseverance in this game. Well, absolutely right. And by the way, as far as your obituary, 
I don't think we'll be seeing that for at least another 30, 40 years. I, I mean, aside, <laughs> well, <laughs> let us hope. <laughs> let us hope. And in fact, you know, I've written a lot about immortality in my books. Rollback is about life prolongation. Starplex is about life prolongation. There's a part of me that hopes that it won't be for 30 or 40 decades uh, down the road before we'll be writing up the RJS obituary. Well, there's never been more of a chance of that happening than now. You know, science fiction writers like us have been talking about that for decades, but it's now becoming closer to real science. As you know, it's just a matter of figuring out what in this cursed DNA of ours starts turning off at a certain age. And if we can figure out how to stop that clock, hey, uh, immortality is clearly the limit. And, uh, well, that is true, and I certainly want to outlive my obituary. That is, I never want to see that thing published, so let's, uh, let's make sure that it happens for both of us, my friend. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you and I both love seeing things about us published, but obituaries we could certainly uh, be satisfied without uh, reading, uh, at least our own obituaries <laughs> in our mutual cases. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you could tell our listeners as much or as little as you would like about how this came to be, that is a great novel that I read back when you wrote it. Uh, but as you said, you had no idea really when you wrote it that this would be the one that would be picked up by a major American television network, put uh, together a great cast, uh, great directors and screenwriters, and, and made into this series. So how did it go from the novel to the TV series? Absolutely. And I got to say that although I didn't know this would be the one that would break out, I think my Hollywood agent, Vince Gerardus, knew right at the outset. He read um, the manuscript of the novel, not even the final draft, but I think the penultimate draft of the book, before it was even titled Flash Forward. The book was originally called Mosaic, which is, if you've watched the promos for uh, the TV series, the Mosaic theme and the Mosaic Collective, the Mosaic website figure very, very prominently in the TV series and in my novel. Uh, he read it and he said, this has got, he said, feature film written all over it and started uh, immediately shopping it around. This would have been a decade ago, 1999. He got it into the hands very early on of uh, the woman who went on to become Jessica Goyer. She was not married to David Goyer at the time. They were just friends, but uh, she was a producer in her own right in Hollywood, read the book, uh, got David Goyer to read the book, and they both agreed, yeah, this is something they would like to adapt. Now, we flash forward, <laughs> so to speak, to 2005. David Goyer was working on, I think it was, the first TV series he ever worked on. He was known for his work in motion pictures, but he did a science fiction TV series called Threshold uh, with Brannon Braga. Brannon was a well-established TV producer at that time, famous for his work in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation and the subsequent Trek series. And they were talking. Yeah, great guy. They were talking, and, um, you know, basically Brandon said to David, so what else are you working on? And David said, well, you know, I've got this Rob Sawyer novel that uh, uh, I've been intrigued in, and Brandon actually was a fan of my work. He said, oh, yeah, which one? Flash forward. They started talking about that, and Brandon said, that'd make a great TV series. And I think up to that point, David had been thinking, uh, motion picture, because that's where his headspace normally is. And Brandon said, no, 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 a TV series, and here's how you do it. And between the two of them, they decided then and there to collaborate 
on the adaptation to do a pilot script together. And we simply had to wait for them a couple more years for them to find the time in their both very busy schedules to come up with a draft pilot script for Flash Forward. The pilot is called No More Good Days. And uh, when they had that done, they took it to, they thought, in their own estimation, that this was a very classy piece of work. Uh, not your usual, and I, as a guy from the science fiction world, I don't want to say this pejoratively, but not your usual schlocky sci-fi, but a, a classy piece of work. And so where do you take classy television in the United States? You take it to HBO, Home Box Office. And they did, and HBO uh, loved the script. They bought it immediately and then started thinking about how are we going to produce this thing. Well, it was the pilot for an ongoing TV series, not not a miniseries, but a series that would be open-ended for, you know, and will have a resolution, as all series these days ultimately do, but, you know, quite a number of episodes down the road. And HBO started thinking about the budget to really do the pilot properly. And the number of episodes, you know, with HBO, you're lucky to get eight or a dozen episodes a year. Obviously, the broadcast networks do 22 two or 24 a year, and they ultimately said, and with uh, David uh, Goyer's um, uh, agreement, maybe even urging, why don't you shop this around to the big four broadcast networks? We, HBO, will retain part of the back end. We'll own a piece of this show because we, we, you know, we paid for the pilot, we helped the uh, script, we helped develop it, um, but, but there may be a better home for it, uh, a better way to realize the property than what we can do here at HBO. So, we did have the deal set up at HBO, and in fact, my contract is with HBO and then has a writer, a subsequent side contract with ABC that basically acquired rights from HBO. Um, and, you know, financials get changed a bit when that sort of thing happens, all to the good. But uh, they did shop it around. They showed it to all four, NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox, and ABC and Fox immediately got into a bidding war to acquire Flash Forward. Everybody was thrilled. This was just about one year ago from now, September of 2008. There was a bidding war going on, and Fox and HBO went back and uh, sorry, Fox and ABC went back and forth, back and forth. Finally, it all came together that ABC won the the auction, which meant they had to do you know ABC had to make me happy, had to make Brandon happy, had to make David happy, had to make all the creative people involved happy, and they did. They came up with a deal we all agreed to sign off on, and it ended up being an ABC project. That was in September of last year, and the go-ahead was to get ramped up to film a pilot in February, so pretty fast. Pilot was filmed in February of this year, 2009, February, uh, late February, early March, uh, and ABC loved the pilot and immediately greenlit it for a series. Now, David Goyer, big important guy. Brandon Braga, big important guy. We had cast Joseph Fiennes, big movie star, as our lead, you don't diddle around with guys of that stature. They all had agreements with ABC that said, if you want to make a series, you got to give us 13 episodes as our initial run. Not the usual half dozen, but 13. Get, you know, If you're serious about this, give us the shot. Give us a quarter of a year to prove our worth. We got the 13-episode initial order, and the first episode premieres Thursday, September 24th. That's episode one, the pilot, No More Good Days. Twelve other episodes are in production right now, and we're certainly hoping to be picked up for the rest of the season through a total of 24 episodes. That'll bring us to the beginning of May in terms of air dates. Well, that's an incredible story. So it took 10 years, and uh, this amazing 
evolution from a novel that your agent read even before it was published to, well, this uh, podcast will probably first air just a day or two before the series premiere. And uh, it took all that time to get this story onto ABC television. Will the public ever be seeing the pilot, by the way? Will this be something like what happened with the original Star Trek series, that they'll make it into some kind of... Oh. Uh, no, the pilot will air as the first episode. The pilot, uh, the pilot is, it's funny because the pilot, of course, when you make a pilot, you invest a lot of money, but not as much as if you're going to make a series, right? Uh, because you have nothing to amortize it over. The pilot costs are fixed costs and they're, you know, the, the, the studio either sells the pilot or the pilot fails. Uh, but they, they're fixed costs. So for the pilot, uh, it was very interesting. We filmed a lot of scenes at the Veterans Hospital in Los Angeles. Uh, and that's where, if you watch the pilot, the, the, the hospital scenes are on location. For the rest of the series, they because now you can amortize costs, uh, they built an exact duplicate of the Veterans Hospital uh, setting. Uh, on the largest soundstage on the Disney lot, which is we have the largest soundstage right now for Flash Forward. We've got uh, rebuilt FBI headquarters, rebuilt uh, uh, the uh, uh, the hospital set, and rebuilt the home of the main characters, which had been an actual rent, uh, uh, an actual house that belonged to real people for the pilot. So the only difference between the pilot uh, and the subsequent episodes you'll see is that. Uh, the sets will look identical, but they're real places in the pilot and they're reconstructions on Disney sound stages in the subsequent episodes. Uh, but it looks fabulous. And you will see absolutely the pilot uh, will be the first episode. It was a one-hour pilot, and it just it rocks. It really, really moves. It's a brilliant piece of filmmaking. So Disney is part of ABC, in case our listeners... Disney owns ABC. Disney owns ABC, yeah. Disney owns ABC, that's right. And... If you think about it, it's cheaper if you're doing a series to rebuild a hospital as part of a set than it is to constantly have to get into the face of the real hospital, which is why producers uh, tend to want to do those kinds of things. Exactly. And also, I mean, we go from scene to scene to scene. In a, a given day, we can now have Joseph Fine's character go from his house to FBI headquarters to the hospital set where his wife, the Sonia Walter character, works. Uh, you know, by him literally walking a matter of yards from one set to another instead of getting into vehicles and fighting Los Angeles traffic to go from the three actual physical locations uh, we used in the pilot. So that also makes an enormous amount of sense, too. You know, the, the Bedford, uh, Bedford house, uh, uh, Joe finds his house, is right next door to uh, uh, his office set on the Disney soundstage, as these things are always done, of course, you know. That's right. I'm so glad, by the way, that Sonia Wilder is in Flash Forward. Uh, I've loved her as Penny on Lost, and it was even good to see a little of her in the Sarah Connor Chronicles and Tell Me You Love Me. You, uh, your show has an unbelievable cast. Let's talk a little bit about that because, as you know, writers always, I won't even say often, because it's always fantasize after their story or novel is published, about, well, who would be the best actor or actress to play this or that role? Now, I know you're not going to tell me <laughs> you, you were unsatisfied with these actors or actresses, um, but tell me what it feels like to see the characters that you created, and on the page they were words, sort of almost a recipe, which the reader has to bring to life in his yeah. or her own brain. 
What does it feel like to you as the author to now see these uh, characters as real people? It, you know, it was truly incredible to see it. Uh, uh, Jack Davenport plays Lloyd Simcoe. Lloyd Simcoe, of course, was the main character in the novel. And I'd, I, I was a big Jack Davenport fan before uh, I met him and before he was cast because he was the lead in a BBC sitcom called Coupling, which was kind of a, a friends for the 30-plus set instead of the 20-plus set uh, out of the BBC. And it was just brilliant. And he was enormously funny and and appealing in that. Uh, and when he was cast to play Lloyd Simcoe, my wife was just absolutely thrilled because she's had the biggest crush on Jack Davenport since, you know, uh, since we were both fans of Coupling. And it was really a pleasure to get to meet him as we were filming the pilot. And I thought, yeah, this guy is just perfect. He is just perfect. Um, and it was also, parenthetically, he is best known for comedic work, as is John Cho, who's also a regular in Flash Forward. Um, and the thing about that was that most, not all, not all uh, actors from comedies are funny without a script. You know, some of them just, if without a script, they're just not funny without somebody else feeding them the, the witty material. And uh, Jack Davenport is spontaneously and uh, genuinely witty. It was a lot of fun hanging with him for a while on the set because he was just uh, cracking jokes all the time that were really good, funny jokes. But he is playing, obviously, he's, he's playing a very bright guy. Uh, and he carries off that being intelligent but also having a human heart, which is what I was hoping for in the character. Uh, so I'm just delighted with the casting. I mean, we've got Joseph Fiennes as our lead, Shakespeare from Shakespeare in Love. How can you go wrong with an actor of that caliber? It's just um, all of them are so good. I don't think the presence of any one of them caused the others to bring up their game because they're all so good. We have, without doubt, I would say, the best cast of any of the false shows coming uh, on any of the networks. It's an unbelievable cast. I've, in fact, I can't remember the last time there was such an all-star cast in just one single uh, television series. Now, without revealing you know, who this might be, if it is the case, will there be characters in the television series who didn't exist in the novel? Yes. Uh, the novel is set, as uh, anybody knows who read the first chapter, is mostly set in Switzerland. It's set at CERN, the European Center for Particle Physics. Uh, and the um, uh, what happens in the beginning of the novel and in the beginning of the TV series, in the first minute of the TV series, uh, is everybody blacks out on Earth. All seven billion of us black out for two minutes. Now, that means that you could actually open your story of telling Flash Forward visually anywhere you wanted on the planet. Uh, Nairobi or Toronto or Los Angeles or Cape Town or New Delhi, you name it, everybody has blacked out. So in adapting this to film, well, where's it being made? It's being made in Los Angeles, California. Where did they decide to do their opening uh, look at the carnage but Los Angeles, California? And our main uh, Joe Fines plays a character who is new to the TV series. He's an FBI um, agent in Los Angeles uh, who ends up um, spearheading the investigation, at least for, from Los Angeles's point of view, into what the heck has gone on? Why did everybody black out? So, indeed, there's an expansion of the vision. Uh, they can go all over the world to tell flash-forward stories. You know, um, we sort of dance around comparisons with the TV series Lost. On the one hand, you know, 
uh, it's enormously flattering to be compared to Lost. On the other hand, we want to be our own thing as well. But the huge difference is that Lost is confined to that one island and to 40 characters who survived the plane crash. We have the whole planet, and we have all 7 billion people. I don't think anybody has ever told a story before uh, where everybody on Earth has the exact same experience, the consciousness displacement at the same moment in time. Everybody, all 7 billion people have stories to tell. And uh, we're... Uh, uh, we will be bopping around the globe during the course of uh, the first season of Flash Forward, but it starts in Los Angeles, California. That sounds very exciting. It's interesting, apropos Lost, that J.J. Abrams' newer series, Fringe, which I actually thought I, it started off rather slowly last year, but it did have a pretty powerful uh, ending. And the debut of the second season, I think, is about a, almost a week prior to Flash Forward's debut, so it'll be interesting to see, and as you know, Flash Forward has been advertised as, in effect, Lost's successor, because they're both on ABC. It'll be interesting to see, you know, the comparison between Fringe and, and Flash Forward. One of the problems, I think, with Fringe is that uh, it, it doesn't really have that much of a consistent story. It's more of a sort of series of stories, whereas Flash Forward has a very powerful, consistent story. Um, let, let's talk about something else. One of the things um, that I experienced on a very minor way is when Jay Kensinger, who was just a, a little bit out of uh, college out in San Francisco, made a very low-budget uh, movie of one of my short stories, The Chronology Protection Case, uh, and, it, and it featured Phil D'Amato, who I wrote as a New York City detective, but uh, Jay, out in California, made him a California detective. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> he still had a New York accent, though, because Jay played the role when he comes to New York. Right. But... Um, I remember years ago with Rich Man, Poor Man, uh, there was that television miniseries that was enormously successful. And then there was sort of a, a fascinating sort of split in the road where the television series took one path, uh, but the, the novels took another path. So... First of all, how do you feel about that? In effect, you, you are, you know, with all this wonderful excitement, you, your story is now to some extent in someone else's hands. And then secondly, what will happen in the future? W will you write uh, sequels to flash forward in your universe or in the ABC television series universe? Those are all great questions. Uh, the first aspect is, yes, we've got a bifurcation here. Now, me, as a big fan of the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, uh, knows that, you know, whenever you make a decision in life, it doesn't just go the way you made it, but in another universe, it goes the other way, too. Uh, and that's what happens here. Uh, there's going to be two different um, realities of flash forward now there are those you know there are always people who say no matter how good the adaptation is there's going to be somebody who'll say how could you let them do that to your book and the answer to that is they didn't do anything at all to my book my book is right here the novel flash forward has been in print continuously for 10 years and probably now will be in print forever brand new edition just came out this month september by the way with a tie-in cover and so forth um yeah, it's lovely. It looks lovely. The book uh, has a life yeah. of its own. This does not supersede, supplant, replace, or negate the reality of the novel, Flash Forward. Now, you ask, uh, what about um, future Flash Forward novels? Well, my deal with ABC prevents them from doing novelizations or tie-in novels 
in the in the television flash forward universe without my approval. Uh, and that's where it stands at the moment. They've made some overtures about, you know, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be nice if we had these things? And at the moment, I haven't agreed to anything. Uh, and they can't do it without my agreement. So we all understand that. We, there, there's some interest in uh, Flash Forward, the TV series, novels or novelizations. And I may or may not decide to license those. Uh, I do retain the right to do as many author-written, author Robert J. Sawyer-written sequels to the original Flash Forward um, novel that I might be inclined to do. But they would have to be simply sequels to the novel, not adding any of the elements or embellishments that have been brought into the TV series. So, for instance, Joseph Fiennes' character of Mark Benford uh, belongs to... ABC doesn't belong to me. And so you'll never see Joe Fiennes' character in any sequel I might write to Flash Forward. On the other hand, the whole backstory of, uh, say, Lloyd Simcoe that might never come out in the TV series, uh, I can bring out in whatever degree of depth I want to bring out in future novels about Lloyd Simcoe, the character, the main character from the Flash Forward novel. Uh, so we'll see whether I choose to write a sequel at some point. I might, I might not, uh, and we'll see whether or not I choose to license ABC to allow others to write flash-forward novels. I might, I might not. I'm, I'm mulling those things over. Um, that said, I will be writing one of the episodes for the flash-forward TV series, uh, and I'm very much looking forward to doing that. And I think, you know, that's kind of, in some ways, it, it's my way of saying, uh, hey, I, I do approve of this adaptation, and I am part of the process. I'm also a consultant on the series, on every episode of the series. I'm paid a consulting fee and so on and so forth. Um, so my hand is still in there. It, it, it is something I'm very happy with, the adaptation. And I'll say one other thing. If you were, you know, given if uh, the reality of Hollywood is there was no way, even if I had wanted to, that they would let me do the adaptation. It's all about attaching names to a project. You attach a name brand director, a name brand star, a name brand screenwriter. Well, I'm not a name brand screenwriter. I'm a name brand novelist, but not a name brand screenwriter. So it was a foregone situation that as soon as you start talking HBO or ABC or anything like that, the pilot script is not going to be written by a Robert J. Sawyer. It's going to be written by somebody who's got a great screenwriting track record. Well, who would be the dream team of doing wonderful adaptations of existing printed word or literary properties. It would pretty much be the guys I got. David S. Goyer did not create Batman. Bob Kane created Batman. But David S. Goyer gave us the best ever cinematic Batman in Batman Begins. Brandon Braga did not create Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry created Star Trek. But quite arguably, Brandon Braga gave us some of the very best Star Trek ever written. Indeed, he won a Hugo, uh, not only chronologically before I did, but also at a younger age than I won mine. I won one for my novel Hominids. He won one for co-writing All Good Things, the three-part series finale for Star Trek The Next Generation. He also co-authored First Contact, which is certainly the best of the Next Generation films, and arguably the best Star Trek film period up to the most recent one in 2009. Uh, so these guys, you know, have a track record of taking existing properties and finding the best possible way to make them 
broadly accessible in a new medium. I could not be more delighted with the team that came together to write the pilot for Flash Forward. Well, I agree completely. And uh, Brandon has also done a great job just this past season with 24. Uh, but, you know, the choices you were talking about, uh, everyone should have such tough decisions to make. W- will I, uh, you know, give ABC permission and at, at what price to do uh, spinoffs? And will I write another novel? Those are wonderful decisions. One of the things that uh, just dawned on me as you were mentioning Brannon and Star Trek, and I actually can't think of another example, it seems to me that the great, most important science fiction on television, by and large, has not been based on a novel. I mean, certainly Star Trek wasn't, right? Lost certainly wasn't. So I don't know if I'm missing anything. Not recently. That's right. You know, now the most uh, most successful franchise... Uh, of television science fiction ever based on a novel was The Six Million Dollar Man and its spin-off, The Bionic Woman. Uh, the Six Million Dollar Man is based on a novel by Martin Caden, C-A-I-D-I-N, called Cyborg. And uh, that was obviously a huge success. If I remember correctly, there were, oh, I don't know, something like 200 episodes of Six Million Dollar Man and 125 or something of Bionic Woman, big numbers of episodes. That was a huge success. But you go back and look at uh, stuff that was actually published within genre. Cyborg was published, it is a science fiction novel, but was published as a mainstream thriller originally. Uh, Jim Gunn, James Gunn, recent SFWA Grand Master, uh, had a TV series around about 1970 based on his novel The Immortals called The Immortal. And it ran 15 episodes, if I remember correctly, which means I've got a good shot this season of ending up having the longest-running science fiction series based on an SFWA member's novel um, in the history of of the genre. There have been fantasy series that have run longer. uh, But no, there's not a lot of science fiction novels that have been adapted for television. And I'm just obviously just absolutely thrilled uh, that Flash Forward quite literally won the lottery in this regard. Well, that's extraordinary. And also thinking about firsts or, or other examples, um, and again, I may be overlooking something, but I think the last series, fantasy science fiction, that became a huge, incredible success, much to a lot of people's surprise, would be what, Heroes on, on NBC uh, a few years ago? Yeah, that sounds right. Heroes was a big, big breakup. That is, if one dismisses Lost from being science fiction, yeah, that would be right. Well, but yeah, but Lost, I think, was a success prior to Heroes, right? Lost, I think. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Yeah, fifth season or so, yeah. Yeah, Heroes would be an example. And although people like to point to Battlestar Galactica, one has to remember that on its best weeks, Battlestar Galactica had 1 million viewers in the United States, which meant that 299 out of every 300 people in the U.S. did not watch the show. Yeah, much to their loss. It, it was a great series. and um, oh, great, great show. Great show. Yeah, yeah. Far better than the original, uh, of course. It, you know, and unbelievably so. I mean, I could not believe that they took that source material and made something so wonderful out of it. I mean, it was just... You know, I, I, I couldn't believe it when they announced it, that they were going to do it. I couldn't believe that they were going to pull it off. And I got to give full credit uh, to David Icke and, and Ron Moore for doing an amazing job on that. That just, just will stand out, I think, for decades to come as a milestone in uh, science fiction and television. Yes, I agree. 
One, uh, one or two last questions. Somehow, whenever we talk, I always go longer with you than <laughs> I wonder why. It's such fascinating stuff. And by the way, you're so articulate Thanks. in explaining all this stuff, which uh, a lot of writers are not. I guess they write well, but they don't uh, talk all that well. Uh, one of the things uh, that um, happens, of course, with, with writers uh, of novels and writers of nonfiction books is that uh, it, it, it's not only a battle to see all of your words uh, get into print because you're dealing with editors and copy editors, and you and I have talked oh, yeah. about copy editors over the years. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you still write that those sheets and you give them to the copy editors. Set. I do like eight or nine pages now of don't touch this, don't touch that. I did this on purpose. Leave it alone. That's right. I was sorry I didn't do it with my nonfiction book, New New Media, where I must have spent uh, you know a month going back and forth with a copy editor, and it was my fault for not telling her up yeah. front what I wanted. It was my fault to some extent. But but here's my question regarding this. One of the things that also always happens with us is it's rarely the case that when a, a novel or a nonfiction book is published that it winds up being exactly the same as the last time we saw it and signed off on it. Somehow a little thing always creeps in there. So are you confident that you've seen the very, very last cut of that first episode, or might you be surprised? No, I'll tell you, I'm not confident about that. In fact, I was just on the set in L.A., and I'll tell you two little stories. First, I finally got to see a, a, a full in-sequence cut of the pilot uh, in the flash-forward offices, which are on the Disney um, uh, Disney Studios lot. Uh, they actually were right across a little... Um, walkway, pathway from the lost offices, which is kind of cool. Uh, I sat and watched the pilot, but it didn't have the credits. So um, my credit, which is supposedly a full card based on the novel by Robert J. Sawyer, uh, I have yet to see that on the screen. And obviously until I actually see it and my name is spelt right and all of that, I'm going to be a little bit nervous. But the other thing was um, our special effects supervisor, is Kevin Blank. Kevin is famous for his work on Lost and on the movie Cloverfield, and he's a genius. Uh, the last time I was down in L.A., uh, which was earlier this month of September 2009, uh, we were doing some location shooting uh, where we were shooting in Los Angeles, but it was a scene that was going to be uh, set in Washington, D.C. So we had some green screens up outdoors uh, so Kevin could add in uh, the you know uh, the, the Washington backdrop instead of the Los Angeles backdrop. So I was chatting with Kevin, and I said, "Oh, and I just got to see the pilot, and I got to say it's magnificent." And he said, "Yeah, well, you know this one thing. There's a a, a thing in the pilot um, that uh, is one of the effects shots." And I said, "Oh yeah, 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 it looked great." He said, "No, no, no. I just redid it because he wasn't happy." with his uh, final version of it. So right up till, I think, just before this goes to air, everybody is, uh, is, is going to tweak and make it as good as it can possibly be. Um, and that's perfectly fine. You know, at some point it gets cast in stone when it actually, September 24th, 2009, goes out there to the public. But there's no reason why people should stop working as hard as they can to make it as good as they can because so much, not just money, but so many people's jobs are dependent on flash forward. Uh, the crew is gigantic. The cast is big. Everybody's um, livelihood depends on this being a success. Uh, and so they're tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. And I'll be watching uh, as avidly as anybody else on Thursday, September 24th uh, at 8 p.m. 7 Central <laughs> to see uh, what the final, final, final cut looks like. 
Well, that's incredibly uh, exciting. I'll certainly be watching, too. And not only that, I'll have a review up first on my blog within about 15 to 20 minutes after the episode is over because I write these things quickly. And then on Levinson News Clips, which is another one of my podcasts, I'll have a uh, spoken version of, of that review. So, uh, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, l- looking forward to this. You know, it's interesting what you're saying about changing things. Uh, and you're both Canadian and American. Uh, I remember um, Gordon Lightfoot had a record out uh, years ago. Sure. If you could read my mind. And the first, the first time I heard the record, you know, I loved it. Had some great harmony in it. And then about three or four days later, I heard it again. The same record with no, with no harmony. It was him singing, but no harmony. And that's what I learned. That at least in the recording business, they had released the record with the harmony. And I guess someone thought it sounded more effective without it. And so they re-released it without the harmony. So you you can't quite do that on television. But um, you, things are almost never final when you when you're dealing with. Creating of things. Absolutely. And indeed, you know, uh, we all saw this with Battlestar Galactica, that when it was released on DVD for two, three, or four episodes out of every season, there would be this, the, the longer cuts, the cuts they wish they'd been able to show, but when it fit in their 44-minute time slot uh, of various episodes. And I won't be the least bit surprised uh, to see on the DVD and Blu-ray sets of Flash Forward uh, that same sort of thing, where there will be uh, you know, um, longer uh, cuts of some of the episodes, for sure. Well, Rob, this really does my heart good. Uh, I know better than most uh, all that you've gone through uh, as a science fiction writer. It, it is a tough road. I'm reminded of something the late folk singer Phil Oakes said in his song, The Crucifixion, that success is an enemy to the losers of the day. And, uh, you know, th- this is true of any uh, field. And you've been very successful uh, as, a, as a novelist uh, for a long time. And now, whoever doubted your uh, capacity to dazzle readers and, and people with your narratives will see uh, <laughs> how incorrect they were with this, uh, you, with this fabulous uh, series. So, so good luck, Rob, and uh, we'll do an interview sometime after Flash Forward has become a huge success. Terrific. And if people want to find out more about the book, please have them go to flashforwardnovel.com. Great. I'll put that link cool. uh, on, on the webpage. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Sierra had always done everything for the thrill. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Edited 
Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Traveled 2,500 years back in time to ancient Athens to save Socrates from certain death, and now he doesn't want to come back with me. Oi, I'm gonna plot! All this and more in Paul Levinson's The Plots to Save Socrates. And thanks again, Rob, for that great conversation. And I just want to mention to everyone that on September 24th, within minutes after the debut of Flash Forward on ABC TV, so we're talking about a few minutes after 9 p.m. East Coast time, look on infiniteregress.tv for my review. And then very shortly after that, on Levinson News Clips for my podcast review. And by the way, you can get all of my Levinson News Clips reviews in a few different ways. Here's one of them. Levinson News, one word, dot mevio, M-E-V-I-O, dot com. The Light on Light Through podcast. And I wanted to tell you about our lightonlightthrough.com webpage. We've spruced up that webpage, and there are all kinds of new things there which you might find of great interest and value. In particular, we have a whole bunch of sponsors who have given us special coupons and codes that give you all kinds of discounts to their services. For example, you'll find a link on lightonlightthrough.com to Angie's List, and if you click on that link, you'll get 25% off your membership on Angie's List. And we also have links to Avis, Budget, eHarmony, eMusic, The Wall Street Journal, Blockbuster Video, and many other sponsors. So when you have a chance, especially if you're just listening to this podcast and you haven't yet been to the webpage, go over to lightonlightthrough.com. That's L-I-G-H-T-O-N-L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com and avail yourself of all those Opportunities. The Light on Light Through Podcast. And that's the sweet music of our promo suite. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. You're going to hear from the night guy in Israel. Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Code. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy.
check out the Mike Thinks podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The time in Israel is uh, two minutes after midnight. Your life is ticking away, moment by moment. Your coffee is getting cold. The time in Israel is 41 minutes after midnight, and that's true, by the way. Hi there. Do you think this world is surreal enough? Join me for an exploration of the most surreal aspects of this world on a podcast gone horribly wrong. Interviews with creative people, 100 word stories, short essays, and much, much more. Find me at nightguy.guidefeed.com. Come and join the fun, and may you never have to listen to music you don't like. Did you hear the Locus award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world, witness the wonder of ages past, and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com.